Hey everyone, it's time to revisit the challenges of finding, hiring, and retaining professional truck drivers. Old measures no longer measure up. A paradigm shift about the profession is long overdue. Ultimately, drivers, they just want to drive. Come take a bite out of the future of driving with me, Chris Joslin. Welcome to Jobswakes. with the Chris Joslin Show, bringing you another rendition of Jaws Bites and Road Scholar as a podcast, um, one that you can get by looking at most of the social media platforms that are out there. You can go to Instagram or LinkedIn or, or YouTube directly to our YouTube channel and take a look at it there. Subscribe, of course, because the idea behind this kind of podcast is not just so that I can sit and listen to myself. It's so that others can join the conversation and contribute, become a part of uh, a community that's looking to both mainstream and effectively evolve the transportation logistics industry in a way that, that complements each other, that, that changes the dynamics, that changes the viewpoint of others that look at transportation as a, I don't know, maybe a necessary evil at times. It's a very complex thing, supply chain, and, and uh, here at our YouTube channel, these social media platforms, and of course, this is brought to you by iLevelLogistics.com, an aggregating news website designed primarily around looking at the transportation industry and all the huge world of complexities that there are out there and trying to simplify things, trying to educate uh, through what will be coming, which is the iLevel University. And at the same time, just trying to kind of hit the high-level notes of things that are important to transportation professionals and those that are interested in, in kind of finding out how and why packages get to their door, um, pallets get to a store, and we're all able to accommodate our, um, our need for the, the goods and services that are available to us. So again, welcome aboard. I, I think today what I wanted to try to do is kind of spend some time kind of reviewing an article put up recently on the iLevel site and through some of the platforms as well. That through, and I think you can go to iLevelLogistics.com and of course you'll see that coming across your screen probably multiple times during this, this uh, podcast. But if you go there and you go to the tab that says Road Scholar, you'll be able to see multiple articles, but the most one of the most recent, uh, one that's coming up real shortly that I'd like to do a podcast as well on is the, the international ocean trade and, and how things are changing very rapidly over the course of the last six months to a year, how there's some, some futures kind of view on, on contracting issues between carriers and VOCCs which is non-vessel operating common carriers and, and the carriers themselves, as long as it's shipping and receiving public, and how um, that is vastly impacting our entire network balance in the United States. It's, it's all over the world, of course, but our focus here is primarily continental United States and, 
in why we're getting log jams on products coming into and out of this country and some of the, the issues around that. So we'll do that on a future podcast. But for today, uh, I wanted to kind of review and matter of fact, maybe even read parts of a article that I put together um, just a little while ago. And it's, uh, it, it's entitled Supply and Demand and the Need for Driver Centrism. And, you know, I thought about that word a little bit a little bit before I put it as a subtitle to that. Supply and demand is a pretty simple concept and, and one that that over time we can understand as far as simple economics. Uh, driver centrism is a little different. You know, you look at that and you kind of, you know, question maybe what that really means. And we'll get into that a little bit. But the, the idea, of course, is not of course, but the idea is that we need to change the view we have both in internal in our transportation world and from the outside as to what drivers are, how they should be treated, and how to engender a, a better supply for the demand that's continuing to grow. Yes, there's anomalies that can happen, recessions back in 08, 09, things like that, and, and certainly a pandemic from 2020 will impact the ability for some of the things that I'm going to talk about to really create the efficiencies necessary in our in our industry. But ultimately, the goal is to do just that. It's to create a better, more fluid, more efficient, and economic industry that has a... Uh, trickle-down effect, if you will. You know, it's, it's real interesting to me because a long time ago somebody told me the, the best thing in the world you can do when you when you talk to people for any length of time is to kind of do what, I don't know if this started in the military, but somebody told me that it did. So first you tell them what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, then you tell them what you told them. Those are the kind of the three steps that, that people take when you see somebody on stage doing a presentation of some sort, a lot of times that kind of summary, body of material, conclusion, all hitting the same aspects. And so when we talk about supply and demand and driver centrism, I'm going to going to talk about just a handful of numbers and what we, we saw over the course of the last year, primarily due to the pandemic, but also there's some societal things and, and industry things that affected the numbers. Then we're going to take a look at some of the ways that what is it really about? Why do these things really happen? So we'll look at, you know, is it the pay? Is, is pay a, uh, I don't know, an indicator, if you will, of how things can be adapted, how things can be patched, how things can be reworked in an environment of driver shortages? And we'll talk about drive time. Is it is it behind the wheel time that's the most important aspect of what we're talking about? Certainly a, a very uh, a dynamic thing. And you'll see that when we talk a little bit about hours of service, etc. And then we got to talk about kind of the overall economics. Is it the economics that's impacting this thing uh, more so than anything else? So we'll we'll delve into that a little bit, and then we'll just conclude a little bit, and I'll give you my take on some of the next steps in the evolution of our industry and how we need to stop looking at all the ways we used to try to mitigate or short-term patch the wound of having not enough capacity and driver capacity is what I'm talking about, as opposed to actually healing uh, the industry a bit. And th that's where we're going with this.
So one of the first things I'd like to try to unpack today a little bit in my uh, effort to shine a little bit of light on some of this issue that I think is very important to our industry is to, to talk about a little bit what 2020 kind of did to us. I mean, we could go in a lot of different directions with a statement like that. Certainly it did a lot of things to us that we did not anticipate. Um, but one of the things it did is kind of brought back into focus kind of a, a decades-long challenge of, of driver capacity and shortage. It, it's something that we've had to deal with in the transportation industry forever. Uh, there have been all kinds of methods to kind of address it, but it's, it's a, you know, it's a revitalized debate, if you will, on how to hire and keep professional truck drivers that are ultimately very, very important to the fluidity of our complex in industry in the United States of America. So, I, you know, one of the, as everything occurred in, in about a year ago, March, there was a sharp decline in our need to move products in, around the country. Thus, there was less need for driver capacity to do that. So, like every other industry, there was a huge hit that was taken. And, but now over the course of the last few months, last quarter of, of uh, 2020, there were about 70,000 new jobs created in that period for transportation professionals. Now, that's kind of defined if you go to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is where I got a lot of these this data, you can see that there are gradations of transportation and, and how you look at that. And this would be the, the non-supervisory roles. In Back in a, a year and a half ago, we were up about 3.5 million people in the transportation industry that are non-supervisory, of which about 85% are some form of driver. So when I talk about these numbers, I, I'm not going to get real granular on just simply full truckload drivers or something like that. It's overall transportation professionals that are, again, non-supervisory role type of people. So 1.35 million, and, and today we're at uh, 1.26 Million. So there's a huge decrease over the course of time. And, and since the 2008-9 kind of recession time period, where we had a drop-off of, it was the biggest drop-off ever, about 100,000 transportation jobs in a single year, the transportation drop-off, even after that increase that I just mentioned, year over year, was about 40,000 jobs in, in the industry. It's the biggest decrease since 08-09. So it's something to, to take a sharp look at, especially as you look at the economy now and, and how it's geared for unbelievable growth. So as a part of that loss of jobs, um, there's a lot of reasons behind it. The first is obviously, you know, how much demand there is creates that you know, supply downgrade or upgrade over the course of month-to-month -month view of that from the, again, Bureau of Labor Statistics. But... You know, in the past, when you had kind of severe shortages of driver capacity, kind of the main thing people look at and ask themselves is, is it the pay? You know, is it the pay? You know, that, that's kind of what we all ask as employees over time with our employers. Hey, we want more pay for what we do, and here's our justifications for doing that. And, you know, many carriers have looked at that over the years, back as, as early as the late 90s. Uh, folks like J.B. Hunt, for instance, and, and one of their uh, VPs was talking about this the other day in a, in a, a Zoom conference call. It, I think it was 19, 
98 or 96, I can't remember what they were saying, but the J.B. Hunt increased their first-year driver, one-year driver pay from 25 cents to 37 cents a mile, like, overnight. That's just an incredible leap and makes quite an impact. It's it's kind of like the, uh, uh, the, but the way I look at that, that I mean, that's a 48% increase. And they offered more home time in an effort to reduce the turnover that occurs in a situation like that because the industry itself has an incredible amount of turnover. Now, there are gradations of turnover in the transportation industry. And when we're talking specifically about drivers, if, if for instance, if you, if you wanted to look at um, um, LTL drivers, I think the turnover rate on LTL drivers from, from what I was looking at was somewhere around the, the 12% range over the last number of years. That's very, very low turnover and kind of indicates that dedicated runs and short haul and getting home at night and things like that and possibly better pay per mile that they're using is is a, a function of keeping people in those jobs and having job security over a period of time where long-haul truckers, uh, full truckload long-haul haul truckers, had as high as a, an average of a 90-odd percent turnover rate in that industry over over again and it kind of an average which is incredibly high if you think about it and one of the reasons that recruitment and retention of drivers and training them properly is so vitally important but it begs the question as to why is there turnover like that so it also begs the question is there really a shortage or is it a manage a matter of managing that properly so again back to the situation we're talking about is pay the is pay part of the deal it certainly is a patch it certainly is a short-term method of accommodating what becomes an immediate imbalance and problem with capacity. Because if the demand spikes without a lot of notice, then the ability to hire new drivers or bring back old ones or convert uh, other employees to the driver kind of side of the transportation industry is very problematic. And if you throw money at it, it'll work, but only temporarily. And, you know, history dictates, I'm not throwing that into the wind. I, I'm not just making that up out of whole cloth. Just that point I made about JB raising their, their pay back in the late 90s is indicative of what I'm talking about. This The issue hasn't gone away. And I, I think it's even exacerbated because the potential growth in the industry is continuing to rise. And the age of drivers, uh, there's a lot of different uh, analysis about the age of drivers being way too high in this industry and needing to lower it. But there's a ton of things that, and we'll get to this in the economic part, there's a ton of things that kind of stop that from happening. And most of it has to do with safety and compliance, governmental uh, oversight and, and, you know, things like hours of service, things like the age of minimum age of uh, getting a CDL. Uh, for long haul versus short haul, there's, there's a matter of fact, the, the Biden administration kind of put a pause on the 21-year-old uh, driver ability for long haul. And there's a lot of good reasons behind that, but in, we don't need to get too granular on that. But the fact is, is pay does work for a period, but it's usually a short period. And then things get normalized, and then things go back to the way they were. And there's a lot of outside competitive things that, that we'll be looking at when I talk about the economics as well. So is it the pay? Yeah, sometimes it is. But, you know, as I said in my, uh, my write-up on ilovelogistics.com under Road Scholar is that, you know, is the industry going to be able to add 
thousands and thousands of drivers over the course of the next few years to accommodate the growth that everybody's expecting to sustain that growth over the next decade? Probably not. But can it become more efficient? Oh, it must. It has to. You know, it's funny because the, the idea of pay in particular is kind of like the old pebble in the pond kind of uh, analogy, I think, that would be good for this, this conversation. So you, you, you throw a pebble or a stone in a pond and you have this immediate impact and splash and a, you know, a circular wave is generated if the pond is still. And out from that initial in point of impact, you see this wave that goes out further and further uh, across the, the pond and impacts everything along that pond. There is a, a wave impact that occurs. But the, the thing you've got to realize about when, when that kind of thing happens is that the wave, as it goes away from the initial, so the initial impact is great. There's a splash. There's a, a pretty decent-sized uh, wave radius that comes out of that. But as it gets further and further away from that due to time, so as, as time goes by, that wave becomes less and less and less until it simply disappears into the background. And I think that's the way that, that the industry is starting to look at the pay side of this. It is a flexible, immediate need uh, remedy for some of the ills of the industry, but it's not a long-term solution. And the long-term solution is more of the analogy like the, you know, uh, what is it called? The butterfly effect, right? So you start with something small like the flapping of the wings of a butterfly and you know somewhere far away in a time much extended from that initial butterfly flapping its wings something big can happen elsewhere because it's a cumulative effect and that's kind of what I'm talking about here with this gyro centric kind of thinking and philosophy and we'll we'll dive into that in in terms of of uh, maybe how shippers and receivers can be that first flap of the wings perhaps and to create more of a driver centric environment that will produce a commodity not a commodity it will produce a supply a labor supply that is uh, willing to help the evolution of this this industry really become what it needs to become so that that was number one that was the it was the pay and the, certainly the second component of this I put down in, in the, the Road Scholar article was, is it the drive time? Uh, a lot of people will focus in on that and say it's definitely the drive time. You know, out of a typical 11 hours of, you know, if you're adhering to your ELDs properly and you're, and you're watching your hours of service and you're taking your breaks and downtime properly and everything else, is about an approximately 11 hour uh, possible drive time per day that a, a typical driver can use. And there's a study done at MIT Labs, Drive Labs, uh, Freight Labs, excuse me, uh, a while back that said between 6.5 and 7 hours a day were the kind of average that the study showed drivers would use out of 11. That is terrible. It's woeful. And, but it gives us an opportunity to look for efficiencies within the system that you wouldn't normally have. And, and one of those things I mentioned a moment ago was the receivers and the shippers out there and some of the things they can do to kind of impact um, 
the ability of drivers to be more productive. And that's really what you've got to remember. With productivity comes competition to that productivity. And what I mean by that is that you have the transportation provider with the drivers that we're talking about looking to become more efficient and productive and have more drive time as we're, as we're, as we're talking about here. But at the same time, you have, for instance, a receiver who has an entirely separate uh, number of KPIs that it has to adhere to. And oftentimes you will have appointment windows being set and required by receivers, you know, big box retailers, et cetera, that have to be very, very efficient with their warehouse management systems and getting freight in and out and bringing in full truckloads and breaking them down and putting them pallet to pallet and shipping them out. There's a lot of complexity there. So there are tight windows to deliver, to deliver on and, and to look at and to be real effective and efficient on. Um, and those usually are tendered to the carrier with specific appointment times for those destinations, thus creating a, oof, a very efficient program or part of that link in that supply chain for the shipper and receiver and a very inefficient one for the driver or carrier situation in general. Because oftentimes, and this is just one example of the situation, but oftentimes, a driver will meet or a carrier will meet the appointment window for the receiver and still end up sitting around more than the kind of two hours that is consequentially built into most transportation deliveries, uh, driver stay with deliveries. So when you look at just that, there's a place to remedy things. There's a place to take a look at, okay, how do we have some mutually beneficial effect with the, with the carriers that will give us an opportunity, excuse me, with the carriers, with the receivers, will give us an opportunity to make the carriers more efficient. Uh, in, in these efficiencies to increase drive time, it's kind of like creating more drivers out of thin air. So the, the mutually beneficial part that we're talking about, it's hard to define unless you put it into some kind of formula. I don't have that formula today, but there's an intuition about this that, that we have to utilize in adapting the philosophy of driver-centric philosophy that I'm, I'm talking about. And that is that increasing the driver efficiency, putting more drive time in per driver, and you gotta remember we have a, a four and a half to a four to four and a half hour opportunity based on the statistics from MIT Freight Lab for that. That's huge. That's, that's like a third of the possible time available to be impacted. Can everything be impacted? Can be um, most, most efficient that you're on the road all the time? No, of course not, at least not at this stage in transportation supply chain development and evolution. But can it be more effective? Can we add 10% more drive time? Can we get that six and a half or seven hours a day up to seven and a half or eight hours a day? That produces uh, I call it virtual drivers. That's not and that's my own internal way of viewing it. It's like if, you, if you're adding more hours to the day with drivers that you have available, that's less drivers you have to, to hire. So now that shortage becomes less and less. And <clears throat> frankly, there is, as part of that study at MIT Freight Labs, they, they concluded after a lot of analysis that about 12 minutes extra per day for every single driver in the long haul industry would basically wipe out the current shortages that we see 
based on the curve of growth that's estimated. Now the curves have changed. There's a lot of different freight kind of being delivered now, so that changes some of the criteria. But you get what I'm saying. That's a, a very, uh, 12 minutes, less than a quarter of an hour difference can change the entire dynamic of what we're talking about and change the industry. So that's, that's what I'm talking about with drive time. And that affects the efficiencies of the carriers and the drivers. And from a supply and demand issue, it should help the shippers and receivers because they'll have more capacity coming their way to enable them to have an efficient, smooth pro process. And it should impact their financials at some point. Because if, if the supply is high and the demand meets the supply, or if there's a reversal in the rules of supply and demand that we have now, then the freight cost on a per unit basis, on a per article basis, per pallet basis, however you want to measure it, goes down. And that's the simple economics of it. That's, that's kind of the next step we want to talk about. The economics, supply and demand, it's, you know, it's really simple kind of thought. The more supply you have, um, the, the, the cost goes down. If the demand is higher than the supply, the cost goes up. It's kind of a simple equation. Uh, for economics 101 but if supply cannot meet demand the prices will climb period and that's what we see we see that very volatile very volatile there's seasonality involved there's surges of retail industry there's certainly right now you know boats parked off the west coast for seems like almost a month at a time waiting for delivery of goods in the united states to go through you know con consolidated freight stations to get into the interior so there's a big plug in the system. The network is very imbalanced right now, and there's a lot of dynamics for that. But the economics prove the point. But those increases, they may be as simple as, you know, the cost of shipping between two parties increasing. It may mean increased costs for recruitment and retention of drivers, driving schools, all that kind of thing. It could mean the rise of expensive new technologies prior to maybe when they should have entered into the market. You're starting to see that a lot now with the talk of, you know, additional automation or AI into the system to kind of bridge the gap between, you know, driver current capacity and what needs to accommodate. And that, that's an evolving, that's a subject probably for another day, but it's, a, it's something that's, that's on its way very quickly and will change part of the view of a professional driver from one of... Um, maybe even simply calling them pilots instead of drivers. Uh, you know, I have, a, I have a friend that's a professional pilot, a couple of them actually, one of them for, for private, uh, uh, you know, jets. And he would tell you that he has to have and has had, you know, ton of education, recertifications. He's got to know, you know, a lot of detail to be a pilot. He's got to be an expert. But he's an expert mostly for emergency. You know, a lot of what he does is automated. He gets it off the ground and lands it, and everything in between is kind of, uh, uh, you know, automated. And I think that's where the eventual road we're going down with AI is 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 headed with with you know the truckload industry, not the truckload industry, but the trucking industry and drivers in general. But that's it, it's not a long way off, but the effectiveness is and ultimately there are layers of decisions in between the current status quo driver situation 
and one where you're driving down the highway in your car with your family you look over and there's nobody in the, the cab next to you and and the, you know the funny thing about that is I was at a meeting with um, me and Iana which is which is uh, intermodal Expos whatever I was actually at and, and one of the railroad executives said hey we already have autonomous vehicles you know the over the, the over the road industry is looking to do this but trains are kind of autonomous uh, the only problem there is you can't get off and go on a lot of different routes you just have single routes and multiple tracks and things like that but he had a very good point you know there's there is some automation involved already with things like that but you know transportation is impacted in all kinds of economic ways you know the supply the supply and demand curve for professional drivers is is kind of complex and can both be benefited and harmed by kind of trickle-down institutional infrastructural economics. You know, there's a lot of ramifications for domestic transportation that are affected by international tariffs and rules and regulations that, that occur to imbalance the amount of freight coming into and out of any geographic area. When you have the, and I mentioned a little earlier, the, the situation at the West Coast ports where you have ships sitting off in the bay waiting to be offloaded well you have to get a certain amount of freight to LA it's a huge consuming area for instance LA Long Beach using that as an example but you have large retailers that can be more nimble than that they may shoot some product three or four days earlier as most routings go to Prince Rupert in Canada and send the, the 40 foot equivalent or 20 foot equivalent steamship line ISO boxes all the way to Chicago for offloading in a major distribution hub like Chicago that that's something they can do to lessen the impact of the throughput that goes into Southern California as an example but that those dynamics those changes in the network the changes in where equipment settles out and settles in and is repoed from and to and all it it's very fluid but it creates a situation to go back to our number one thing it creates a situation about is it the pay do we have to increase the amount of money we pay for types of equipment, i.e. the drivers as well, to get things moved around into a place that creates a balance in a synergy where we can all benefit from the cost of the system itself? It's a big, broad question for sure. But again, instead of using the throw a big stone in the, in the, the pond, or pebble in the pond kind of thing like I was talking earlier about, where you make a giant initial impact and it fades over time, instead of that, taking an approach that is different, that's almost the opposite in view as the one I advocate right now, or the one I'm advocating right now. But the transportation in general, as far as the economic view is concerned, can be impacted by a lot of uh, more mercurial elements, things like you know, opposing industry labor needs. You know, forever the drivers in the driver industry has been impacted by construction. People that want to stay closer to home, people that want to make a good wage when there's a housing boom, will often move their ability or starting a family, doing whatever, will move their uh, their personal labor to a different industry. The oil industry was part of that. Remember when when the fracking stuff started going on or the pipeline stuff started going on, there are, there are kind of industry shifts that occur in that, creating deficits in one and to, to, to manage the supply need for the other. So 
those kind of things are always dynamic, always changing, always moving. So how do you, you, you got to make yourself more attractive in terms of an industry to get drivers to do that. So looking at the economics of what often a driver will term as oppressive um, insurance levels, uh, you know, continuing to change. I, I believe one of the one of the things that the current administration is looking at is going forward with a higher level of baseline insurance, and it's it's very important that we look closely at this because you know lawsuits and major awards and things like that have affected the industry dramatically over the last decade, I would say, and created a situation that, that you know, the, the public out there must be protected from uh, the safety and the hazards that can occur from this industry. And there's a lot of ordinance and certifications and regulations going in place and have been in place for a while, but even getting more and more specific and detailed that will help that situation out. But ultimately, there's always a balance to be struck. And that's that's the hardest part because, you know, from an economic perspective, we really got to overcome kind of the real and perceived obstacles to increase supply. You know, is and as long as there are favorable alternatives out there for professional drivers, there will be some degradation of the overall driver pool that will out, be out there. So the transportation industry needs to help them because in, in the ways that I'm suggesting, because drivers are just like any other human being. They're making these calculations all the time. What's better for myself, my family, my loved ones, my sphere of influence, and what's better for my career in general? What's more long-term? Now, I will tell you that there's you know, a lot of the industry out there that will, will tell you that um, a more nuanced view of this whole driver shortage issue is something that is not only desired but something that should be looked at more you know more closely as as nuance suggests uh, because there are segments as mentioned earlier there are segments of drivers that have more turnover versus less and when you look at the long haul full truckload driver that I was talking about I think I mentioned earlier the turnover rate on average was about 94% on large, large firm, not small firm, but large firm full truckload. And they have a lot of money to throw at things. They're the ones that increase those driver pay things on, on a dime and, and can you know go to either driver schools or have their own or have a whole recruiting division. So that's something that needs to be looked at more specifically and with greater amount of focus because when you compare that to the LTL driver industry, there's a huge disparity. But as an aggregate, the view has always been, whether it's analytical or intuitive, the view has always been that we're always a little bit behind the curve on the drivers that we need to satisfy what's going on. And I think the, the way that we address that is really by changing the view of the occupation of being a professional truck driver. You know, it's uh, you know often portrayed in our industry and in popular press with you know, this industry being beset with shortages all the time. And, you know, those other labor markets need their human capital too. And that's that's always going to be a, a, a part of what we talk about. Um, and even the idea that maybe it's more about unseated drivers. 
maybe the truck capacity is there and that we just have too many drivers that aren't getting in those trucks and driving them when necessary. They're maybe not cross-trained, etc. And out there are arguments around that. But no matter the nature or the gradation of analysis, it seems pretty clear that the old solutions haven't altered anything. Those late 90s pay increases didn't change the fact that we're having this conversation today. So, you know, a shift in thinking and valuing the career of a driver is really the answer. You know, I, I think that the paradigm shift toward a driver-centric way of thinking, which is an application of a, an appropriate wage, a designation as a, maybe a sophisticated pilot, really, in understanding that there needs to be a new generation of drivers out there that look at things not so much as the old cowboy mentality, I want to get out on the road and be free and all that. There's still that amongst all of us. But it's something different than that. Something that's deemed more professional. I say professional drivers, but often we don't look at that, look at truck drivers that way. So I, I think that um, that paradigm shift is necessary. And the question is, is do we continue to take the pebble in the pond approach and you know, create a big splash to begin with and have little change over time? Or do we take the butterfly effect approach and try to make little incremental steps to put firewalls around that profession in such a way that makes it more attractive? If, if we're able to increase the efficiency of carriers and drivers who want to be on the road, and let's create some supply chain resolutions in the shipping side, the, uh, um, the information services side, the transportation management system side, in the receiver side. Let's create those efficiencies and productivity uh, points that will enable our drivers to become what they really should become in the first place. So again, guys, Go to iLevelLogistics.com, see us on our YouTube channel. Um, I'm going to be doing another interview here very soon with a, a fuel technology expert that, that has come up with some engineering designs and is promoting those and has even had some um, analytics done around performance, uh, fuel performance, not as an additive, but as an engineered solution. Drivers want to drive. I mean, it's... They're not being a driver because they want to sit at home. They're being a driver because they want to get in a truck and they want to drive. So let's let them do that. And let's let them do that with the respect and dignity that that profession deserves. And that should be a very interesting interview. I'm looking forward to that interview and an upcoming broadcast coming directly to you, as always, straight from either iLevelLogistics.com or one of the multiple social networking um, website platforms out there uh, you can you can get us on our YouTube channel come see us there subscribe again be part of this community be part of the conversation be part of um, helping your own and our ability <coughs> excuse me to grow and learn in this industry so take care and looking for the next time that we come to you with another version of Jobs Bites Bye.